This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. In this episode, we're going to talk about something that I think hits home for a lot of us, the idea of work-life balance. So many of us, we work really hard and we look up at the end of the day knowing that there's just so much more that needs to get done. As a result, we often end up sacrificing what it means to live a full life. We don't spend as much time with family as we should. We don't invest in other relationships. We may not get to the gym as much. How do you narrow your focus and invest your time in your most important priorities and still shut it down at a pre-prescribed time so you can go and live your life? How do you do all the other stuff? How do you get it all done? Today, you are going to hear a conversation I had with a friend of mine. He has grown two businesses to over $100 million and a third business to over $60 million. He has written several books, including Double Double, Meeting Suck, and he co-authored The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal Elrod. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to how you begin to leverage things out in your world. And we also get into what it's looked like for him. How has he struck the balance? specifically when he's done a good job striking that work-life counterbalance and when he hasn't. With that, let's get into my conversation with Cameron Harold. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen, they're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Cameron, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective because you've, number one, been at the C-level of some very large businesses, and you've worked with C-level executives of very large businesses. One of the biggest challenges our listeners have is this idea of striking balance in their life. We, we, t- we tell people that work-life balance doesn't exist. It's about counterbalance. Where they really struggle is how do you shut leave work at work and be present at home? And how do you actually live a life that is not just your job? Yeah, it's, it's a huge issue. It's one I've actually been spending a lot of time on this last probably four or five months, too. Um, well, what's your, what's, what's your mindset when you look at your days, you look at your time? Walk us through that. Yeah, so there's really there's five areas of our lives. We've got friends, family, fitness faith and finance, right? Making money, saving money. I, I, for a long, long time was all all about business, 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 business. And I would put everything aside for business. And I was all focused on business. I was boring. I had nothing to talk about. 
My friends were bored of it. I was bored of it. My kids didn't know me or didn't see me with any hobbies or activities. I didn't really know. I'd kind of lost sight of myself for a long time, for a very long time. I was proud of what I built, but at the end of the day, it was very empty. What was the defining moment that made you look up and actually open your eyes metaphorically for the first time to say, oh, I'm not actually living a life? I got divorced uh, six and a half years ago, and I didn't know my kids that well. And I didn't realize that I didn't have any exciting hobbies or anything to offer. And I was dating this woman who I was madly in love with and um, realized that there was more to life. And I saw how inspiring she was and she kind of opened my eyes to it and then started working with just, yeah, it was a series of events kind of in that, that, um, that period of time. Mm. And I think what really kicked it into gear for me was, was all of a sudden my life took a shift that I was now going to be living in two cities. I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona and Vancouver, Canada. My two boys from my first marriage were in Vancouver, Canada, and I was only going to see them 10 days every month. And that made a huge shift for me because I couldn't be on autopilot anymore. If I only had them 10 days a month, they had to be good ones. And I didn't want to be Disneyland dad. I had to learn how to parent. I had to learn how to have tough conversations with them. I had to learn how to nurture relationships with them. I had to learn how to have activities and fun and passion and and not overwhelm them because I was coming in just 10 days a month. Um, I had to learn how to balance with my wife when I was down in Scottsdale with her and her girls and how to balance work and, and still build for a good life for ourselves. So I think that was what really forced me to figure it out was this huge shift in my life that the old way wouldn't work anymore and the old way wasn't working anyway. My question for the people who are listening to this is, do you need to wait for that massive two by four to smack you across the face in Cameron's form, in the form of a divorce and not being able to see your children all the time? Do you have to wait for that to happen in your life? Or can you give yourself permission to allow this episode to be that two by four for you? Well, and I'm going through it again right now. My my wife right now, Kim, has kind of talked to me about the fact that I'm too serious and too you know, an up and down roller coaster and too stressed all the time. And, and I'm starting to see that in myself again, going, God, like I'm going too fast, you know? So now in the last four or five months, it's really been a reconnection with myself trying to do meditation. I've gotten into yoga. Finally, I'm running a lot more. Yeah. I was at yoga yesterday and I'm like, you just, you lose, I lose everything. I just, I center myself and I breathe and I relax and, and I just kind of decompress, you know, running a lot more now. I was doing interval training a couple of days ago in the middle of the day and I'm getting ready to run another marathon and doing a lot more hiking. I was doing a ton of hiking this summer and, and getting out with friends in the outdoors. And I'm no longer running with, with headphones. I used to run listening to a podcast and listen to a podcast in my car. And now I'm either listening to music or there's nothing on and I'm with my own thoughts and I'm with myself. Um, I'm journaling now. Like I've got a, a journal that's just kind of filled with pages and pages and pages of notes that I'm journaling every day and using a gratitude journal. And um, I've really kicked into gear the the morning savers that Hal, um, Hal and I talked about in our book, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, and really, you know, bringing those into my life now in a, in a bit of a better way. Well, I'm curious because we talked maybe six months ago um, and you asked me what I do for fun. And I said, oh, I love, my, I love what I do for work. Like, yeah, that's not, that's not what you do for fun. I'm glad you love what you do. What are your hobbies? And I drew the blank. And we deconstructed that for me, the reason I struggled leaving work at work was I never actually had a transition from work to personal mode. Yeah, you used to listen to a business podcast on the way home. I'm like, no, you can't. You need to detach at some point. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I remember you talking about 
how you have your environment. Walk people through, you know, where's your office, why everything's there, how you shut it down to go back to the main house. How have you set up your environment so that you can have some separation between work and personal mode? Sure. Yeah. In Scottsdale, Kim, Kim actually really pointed this out to me in our first home. I was always working either from the bedroom or from a spare room. And I was always kind of in the, in the house and it was stressful for everybody and it was stressful for me. So we, um, we bought this new place and she helped me set up an office with a, an amazing office space and a boardroom and it's its own building on our property. We have a couple of guest houses and a main house and, and the office building all in this one um, big acre property. So I literally get up in the morning and I go off to the office and I work from the office and Kim will, will often bring me out lunch or sit and come have a coffee with me. And, but we're out kind of in the office space and I'll do my work. And at the end of the day, I try to shut it down by five o'clock. I'm actually trying to reduce my hours now as well to have more free time with myself and with family. Um, but I will stop work. I'll close my laptop in the office. I'll walk out. I'll close the door of the office. I'll walk out of the building. I'll close the door to the building. And then I'll walk across the property and into the house. And I physically left the space. Now what I'm getting better at is also bringing some time into my day at that point to decompress, to go for, go to the gym. Um, I just bought a rowing machine for our second house. I've got one in Vancouver now as well to be rowing. So I want to just do something to even five or 10 or 15 minutes to decompress a little bit from business, you know, not reading business books anymore at night, just to kind of shut it down. That's interesting. What I am observing is, when you and I had that first conversation six months ago or so, I mean, you seemed like you had it dialed in. It was all Zen. And like we were just talking about right now, things are a little chaotic going on. Why is it that it didn't continue? What changed? Well, I, I think that I, I wasn't even aware of where I was missing on some stuff. Um, so we, we learned a habit from a friend of mine, Daryl Hicks, a client that I coach. He goes on a dinner once a month with his wife and they raid each other on five areas. And I think my wife kind of rated me on, not berated me, but rated me on, you know, the fun and the fitness and family and friendships. And when you're off kilter again, you're, you're so focused back in business, which is great. And you're amazing there, but the other areas you're kind of out of, out of kilter on again. I, I had to take a look at that and, and, you know, I started going to a therapist for the first time in my life, which was amazing. And I've worked, done some work with a shaman who's incredible and, had to go through the and starting to run without my headphones has been big because it forces me just to be by myself and and be and starting to look at it and going you know what I'm I'm not as present I was eating meals with my kids and rushing away from the table instead of sitting there with them um, so I'm I'm starting to reprioritize I've done my own personal vivid vision so I've written a description of what I look and feel like three years from now as a person and I read that over every day mm. I think the reason I went here for the people who are listening is. I think oftentimes we tell ourselves a story that if we can, oh, if we could just get to this point where we're exercising every day or we finally are meditating every day, finally we're present that boom, it just sticks and that it doesn't, you don't have to maintain it. And here's somebody who I respect a lot, who's succeeded at a very high level in business and in his personal life. And to see that, yeah, six months ago, things were rocking and things have shifted. That's, that's okay. Well, that's something that I finally learned as well, and, and is that I'm not going to beat myself up ab about it when I fall off. I'm just going to try to course correct faster. So I'm using an app right now called The Way of Life, and it, it forces me on a daily basis to look at my checklist of personal habits to make sure that I'm doing them. So I check off if I'm doing them. And I'm also not going to beat myself up if I don't do them all every day. 
I have the list. I go through the list. But you know what? If today I forget to not row, I'm not going to beat myself up and say, oh, I'm a bad human being. I'll just stop the whole list. Like tomorrow, I'll get back on it and do the list again. So I'm, I'm feeling better about the progress and not looking at perfection. And I'm starting to try to be honest with myself that, you know, what's really important It's my relationship with myself. It's my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my friends. I'm having more honest discussions with people that I don't think I ever really had. I don't think I ever really opened up as a human or entered into those discussions with other humans. And I, my default was always helping them with their business, which I was great at, but it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't filling me. Yeah, I totally get that. I want to take the conversation in a new direction because for a lot of people, they sacrifice personal life because they, they're trying to get their business to that next level. They're working more hours. One of the things that they're not acknowledging is they're refusing to apply leverage correctly. Can we, can we talk a little bit about what it has looked like in your life in terms of incorporating leverage in and also some tactical things that people can walk away and do? Sure. It's funny because I've, I've been talking to a lot of my clients recently about leverage. So I don't know if you just read that in one of my books or if that just is a, a concept. That Maybe we're just on the same channel right now. Yeah. So I don't do something unless one and one equals three. <laughs> I love it. So as an example, for every time I have an idea for a business project, I run it through what's called a decision filter. So I created this model where I decide if I'm going to do it. And on the decision filter, it says, will it increase revenue? Yes or no. And how will it increase profit? Yes or no. How will it increase employee satisfaction? Yes or no. How will it increase customer satisfaction? Yes or no. How? If it doesn't increase at least two of those things, it doesn't even get a potential for a yes. And then I look at how much time and money and effort it's going to take, because I only have those three resources, people, time, and money, so I can get the highest ROI. So what I'm looking to do is put things in place where momentum creates momentum, low, um, low kind of expense of those three areas with a high result on at least two areas. That's one principle that I use for, for leverage. Another one will be you know, blog posts. If I'm putting out a blog post, I have a spreadsheet that I run it through to make sure that it gets amplified in a whole bunch of different areas, that it has the right tags in a bunch. So we have a kind of a checklist of about 23 things that every blog post has to be run through. Otherwise, why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. Another principle of leverage would be PR. You know, I work very, very hard to get interviews with podcasters or interviews in Forbes magazine, but I don't expect, and I've landed 5,200 stories in the media in the six years we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I understand the media. No one is going to call you because they saw the newspaper article or read the, 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 the magazine article or saw you on a podcast. What they will do, but you can now amplify that by getting it out on your social feeds. So I'll share this link three times on Facebook, five times on LinkedIn, five times on Twitter over the period of the next two months. I'll send it out to my email list. I'll send it out to my speakers bureaus list. I'll send it out to my clients so that people will see it in multiple forms and I can leverage it in multiple ways. And then I'll tag it to my website. So otherwise, there's no point on just doing a podcast unless I can leverage it and amplify it. Well, let's go even more high level. Um, I think what we have found, at least for our specific audiences, they don't leverage because they think that it won't be done as well as they can do it. If I give it to this person or bring this person on, it's not going to get done to the same level. 
Yeah, it's not about getting it done to the level you want it done. It's about getting a bunch of 80% results. Momentum creates momentum. So I was telling a client that I coached this morning, I call it minimum viable everything. That I just want it done and out the door because momentum creates momentum. That, there's a, tr- a, a scientific truth to that. Momentum creates momentum. Perfection doesn't create momentum. Perfection actually slows you down. It, it, it forces procrastination. No one actually cares if your website is perfect. No one cares if your software is perfect. No one cares if your book is perfect. I, I'll tell you a dirty little truth. My book, Meeting Suck, is amazing. It's being read by all employees at companies all over the world. People are buying it by the box of hundreds of the books to give it to all their employees to read. It took me eight hours to write it because I talked all of the content. So I spoke all the content, I got it all transcribed, and then I worked with Book in a Box to take all of my verbal content that had been transcribed for them to format it. Then I read through it and gave some thoughts. They reformatted it. Then they did all the editing, did the design, pushed it out the door. Yeah. Tucker's got a fascinating process. Right. And I'm an advisor to Tucker now because of that. I loved his process, loved his model. My wife actually introduced me to them to get me to do a book with them. I did three. I got two more coming out, one on Vivid Vision and one on PR. But their model is so tight. So so it doesn't have to be the perfect book. It has to be really freaking good. There's no spelling mistakes, no grammar. It's really tight. It's in my voice and it has all of my content. But why would I sit down and try to spend 200 hours typing it all out? That's insanity. Talk to the person who is earlier, um, they're not major level executive. They're an entrepreneur. They're scaling. They're realizing that they are taking on or just doing way too much. Who's that person, that first person they really should be looking to bring into their world? An executive assistant or a virtual assistant, not even full-time necessarily. And then the next one is, is taking a look at projects on your list. So what I would do is every day I would make a list of all the stuff I want to get done. And I would put down how many minutes or hours each of those projects take. And then I would try to delegate or outsource 80% of those time requirements either using Upwork or Odesk or Hire My Mom or Fiverr or a virtual assistant, get 80% of that stuff off your plate before you start working. What most people do is they work hard, they work hard, they work hard, they work hard, they work smarter, they work smarter. They're like a fly trying to get out a window. (laughs) You guys aren't seeing what he's doing with his hand. He's just poking his hand over and over again. It's not going through. Yeah, and there's a door just to the right. You got to just turn and go out the door. So I think that's part of the problem is that people aren't actually focusing on the critical few things and they're trying to hire a person versus saying, how do I just get all this stuff out the door faster by a bunch of people who are going to do a good job for, for as low as I can pay them so that that momentum creates momentum. Hold on. Did I actually just hear you say that it's not about trying to do everything? It's about just trying to do the few critical things? Critical few things are the one thing versus the important many. I really feel like somebody should write a book about that. Although I'm not sure how well it will do. <laughs> Call it the one or two things. <laughs> I think I don't. I, I, yeah, I think nobody will believe one. We got to at least two. At least two. Maybe yeah. five. Yeah, it's like the four and a half hour work week. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's very interesting. What do you see as the big limiting beliefs that hold people back from leveraging what they should be leveraging? Well, we were unfortunately, we were really screwed up in the school system. So we go to school for 18 years. Typically, we go to school from like kindergarten through the end of college. So we've gone 18 years of being told we have to memorize it. We have to know all the information. We have to do it all by ourselves. We can't look up the answers. We can't work with other people. We can't, you know, collaborate. Instead of what we should have been told was all the answers already exist. Use the cheat sheets, find the path of least resistance 
get a whole bunch of people to do it for you and everybody gets an A. Yeah. That's that's the big limiting belief is that we have to be the smart one. No, we can be the lazy one who get other smart people to do it for us. Most entrepreneurs are C students who hire A's and B's. Say that again, please. Most entrepreneurs are the C students. They didn't do well in school and they hire the A's and B's. Most entrepreneurs like the cheat sheets. We like the path of least resistance. I was a terrible student. I got 62% in college, but I built, you know, three companies to two companies to over hundred million and one to 64 million. And I coached, you know, a monarchy and the CEO of Sprint and, but I was the dumb kid, right? <laughs> now I was dumb in that I couldn't memorize everything, but the, why would I memorize that? I know it's in the book. Why would I memorize what I know is in the book when I know I can just look it up? Well, it's very timely this morning. Jay Papazan literally said, because he, he asked if we could get, it doesn't matter what it was, something very simple done. And in, my assistant and that's kind of looked at him like, you don't know how to do that. And he said, that's by design. I intentionally have chosen to not learn how to do that because in no world should I ever have to do that with my time. You shouldn't know, we shouldn't actually have to know how to do anything. What the CEO's job, and this is what I've really come to, to kind of understand recently, I've almost been coaching the wrong people. I'm now coaching a lot of seconds in command, the COOs. I created a group called the COO Alliance to start teaching this, the people who actually have to grow companies how to grow them. The entrepreneur's sole role should be to articulate vision and ensure culture is being met. And that's it. Just tell us where we're going and make sure the culture is strong, but let the people build the company. It's like the homeowner who knows what their home should look like. I'm not going to do the blueprints and I'm not going to build everything, but I'm the one who gets to control what we build and how, how long it takes and how much money I'm going to spend. And then the contractor will do the blueprints and the workers will follow the blueprints to build my dream. This has been one of my major ahas over the last few months. I heard Gary Keller say that the purpose of a goal is to be appropriate in the moment. To have some vision of where you're going so you can know how can you be most, the most appropriate right now so you can decide what habits you need to acquire now that will automatically carry you to that vision. I was just talking about that on an interview I did this morning with the um, radio station, and I was saying that you only want to be reading a book that's tied to something you're working on over the next three months. Mm -hmm. Don't read books at random because it'll just stress you out and add stuff to your list. But if you're working, let's say you have a, a board meeting two weeks from now, read stuff about board meetings. You know, if you're focusing on sales, read about sales and marketing. So just focus your learning around the critical things that you're working on and everything gets easier and then spend the rest of your time having a life. It's an amazing idea. Amazing idea. The, the aha for me was when I look at a guy like Gary and I asked, what habits did he acquire? It was really one. It was the habit of surrounding himself with amazing people and coaching them to their potential. That's all he's done. He doesn't need to be a coder to turn Keller Williams into a technology company. He just needs to know how to attract talent and coach them to their potential. It's the leader's job is to grow people. That's it. Right? Or hire people who grow people. There you go. My question for the people who are listening to this is, if you, if you were to pause right now, everything you've heard Cameron say, look in the mirror. Are you doing things that you should be doing? Are you, how much of your day is being invested in things that you have no right doing? What's stopping you from leveraging it? Even if it's just one task this week, how do you, how do you put this all into action? Well, and most of our listeners, like if, if you're listening right now, think about, do you clean your own toilet and, 
you know, wash your bathroom and floors. No, you probably hire a cleaning lady who comes and does that. So what are the toilets and floors of your business, right? What are the things that are the minimum wage job that someone else can do that you don't have to? Or what are the things that are on your plate that you don't get energy from? Like the reality is I only get energy from three things in business. I love doing media interviews. I love doing speaking events and I love coaching CEOs and their teams. Outside of that, there's a bunch of stuff that I'm really good at, but I don't love doing. I get energized off this. I'm vibrating. I've been, I would, I've done a coaching call and two media interviews this morning or today. It's, it's 1030 right now. And I started at seven this morning. I'll be done at 230 this afternoon, but I'm flying right now. I don't need espresso. I'm, I'm working off of pure energy, but I haven't had to deal with the rest of my stuff. Go back to when you first started leveraging. You just mentioned you're staying in your core competency. The, your entire day is pretty much blocked for you to do your highest priorities. There's all that other stuff that you just acknowledged, all those loose ends that pile up. When you narrow your focus down to your handful of priorities, the world does not stop and wait for you. Many people start to see the loose ends piling up, the emails they didn't respond to, the phone calls they need to return, and it stresses them out, and, it, and then they just end up doing 80% work all over again. Or, or delegate some of that stuff. Like The reality is the loose ends will take care of itself. You know, Michael Andretti, the race car driver, used to say when you're, when you're driving a race car and you're going into the corner and you feel like you're going too fast, you don't step on the brakes. If you hit the brakes, you're going to skid. What you do is you step on the gas and it sucks you down into the corner. So you actually have to try to go faster and it'll show you the stuff that's broken and then you delegate that stuff or have people around you. My wife's extraordinary at it. Kim is amazing at finding people to delegate stuff to so that we don't have to do as much around the house and property. She's great at project managing stuff and having other people do the stuff. Where we get bogged down and where she'll get stressed is by doing too much of it herself. Um, and that just adds stress to her life and our life or me trying to even do stuff. I'm incapable of doing things around the home. Well, if you think about your business world the same way, yeah, absolutely. My assistant, yeah, I've hired another woman, Rachel, who's running operations for me. She's amazing. I'll say something to her, but like, we need to do this. She goes, yeah, it was done this morning. I'm like, really? I didn't even look yet. Like she's, she's already ahead of me because they know where I'm going. The key is to make sure that all of your suppliers, your customers, your freelance people, anybody knows the vision of where you're going so they can anticipate and they understand why you're doing things so that they, they can see what you can see. Right? If you don't have that, then you're constantly trying to align people and hold them accountable. How, what does that actually look like in terms of you making sure that they're on the same page? How do you communicate that? So we use a document, um, and I talk about this in two of my books, in Double Double and then in also The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. We use a concept called a vivid vision. And the vivid vision is a four or five page document that you write as the entrepreneur that describes your company three years in the future. As if you're standing three years from now looking around and you describe every aspect of your company, you describe marketing and sales and IT and operations, kind of three to four bullet points about every area of your company, describe what your customers are saying about you, what the media is writing about you, what employees are saying, almost as if you're going, you're describing what you see. And then you've got this four page document that describes your company that you get a writer to really make it pop off the page and some design elements added to it. So it looks and feels like your brand. Then you share that with everyone. And now everyone can see what you can see. So that's the process that I use. And you have them reread it constantly. And as the entrepreneur, you should be rereading it almost daily. Mm. So that you're constantly thinking about the future, but executing on today. 
it becomes your decision filter for every everything you're doing. When you look at all the experience that you've had in the business world, what's been the biggest mistake you've made? Um, not listening to the smart people that we hired. We had a VP of finance who was a really smart, qualified person, but his personality profile was he was very analytical, very amiable. So the fact that he was a quieter person, Brian and I, when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we never really listened to him. You know, we would steamroll over him because we knew what we were doing. We were very dominant, very expressives. And we made some big financial mistakes, some that almost killed the company. And the, the big the big learning was like if you have smart people, listen to them. You know, the same with meetings, and I cover this in meetings suck. Only invite people to your meeting if you want them to contribute. Otherwise, let them stay at their desk doing their work. You know, why would you bring someone into a meeting and have them be silent for the entire hour? What's the point of them being there? So invite less people and have your employees opt out of meetings saying, you know what, I don't want to come to the meetings. I don't think I have that much to contribute. I'd rather work on this project. And, and that's when all of a sudden everything starts to accelerate is, is when you're listening to the smart people and you're getting the smart people to work on their core objectives for that day or that week versus just busy being busy. Speaking of leverage, my energy was low and a coffee just arrived. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Well, Cameron, where can people learn more about you? Um, well, the books are all available. So double, double meetings suck and the miracle morning for entrepreneurs. They're all available on Amazon, audible iTunes. Um, and then my main website, cameronherald.com. If they go to the tools section, they can download some of the tools and watch some of my speaking events there. And the COO Alliance is, uh, the COO Alliance.com. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the time and look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Jeff. Have a great one. Well, there you have it, my conversation with Cameron Harold. Folks, what I love about this conversation is acknowledging that we all fail. I remember six months ago when I'm talking to Cameron and he's talking about how he's got this great balance and things are going so well. And when he and I hop on the call today, I go, how is everything? He goes, dude, it's chaos. <laughs> and to, to hear that, you know, things have digressed a little bit. He was unaware of certain things that were slipping through the cracks. And now he's having to look up and going, okay, I need to start putting myself first. I thought I was in the past, but I really wasn't. And now I need to be doing a better job. And he's making tweaks toward it. Let us ask you, are you giving yourself permission to fail? In those moments when you slip backwards when it comes to living the one thing, do you beat yourself up? Or are you being kind to yourself? Acknowledging that <laughs> the path of mastery is not one of consistent winds and rainbows and sunshine. It is filled with failure, baby. Failure <laughs> everywhere. When it happens, are you being kind to yourself and saying, you know what? I'm going to get back on the horse tomorrow. This is a journey, folks, and we are on it together. From a practical standpoint, can you look at all the things that you are doing, get clear on the handful of things that you must be doing, your big rocks? Can you focus on doing those things first? And when those loose ends start to pile up and the chaos starts to build in your world, can you start chipping away at some of those 80 percenters by delegating them to other people? Whether that be by bringing on a full-time executive assistant like I've done this year, whether that be leveraging virtual assistance, 
There are so many options. And so much of your world will open up when you develop the muscle. And make no mistake about it, it is a muscle. The muscle of using leverage. If you have that limiting belief in your head that I can't leverage it out because it just won't get done as well, that's okay. Because if you're living the one thing, if you are keeping your focus narrow and you are investing your time in your highest impact areas, you will not be able to do all those other 80% items. So which is better? 0% of those things getting done or those things getting done 80% as well? I don't know about you. I'll take 80% of something over 100% of nothing every day. All day, baby. What's the one thing you can do from this episode such that by doing it would allow you to free up some more of your time so you can strike that work-life counterbalance that so many of us wrestle with every single day? Get clear on that. Set the intention before you go and listen to a past episode of the podcast or your next favorite podcast or go to that meeting. Can you give yourself permission for 15 seconds to close your eyes and to get clear on how you can implement what you learned here in this episode? Implementation. That's what it's about. If you would like our help, the doors to living your one thing are currently open. If you are listening as it, re- as it releases, they're only going to be open for a few more days. This is our implementation program where you learn to take back control of six to eight hours a week, 24 to 32 hours a month that you are currently wasting that you suddenly control and are able to invest in your most important work. It is ridiculously affordable and it is ridiculously powerful. Go to the one thing.com slash membership before the doors close. And if you are listening to this later and you go there and it's the wait list, cool. Put your name on the wait list. That way we can let you know the next time we are opening the enrollment. That's the one thing.com slash membership with the number one in the URL. The one thing.com slash membership. Folks, Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this family. Thank you for being a part of this community. We do this because we love to serve you. We love seeing the downloads come in and then to receive the emails or to see the posts on social media or when we interact with you in person. It warms our heart to see you making progress in your life. That is why we do this. Go take action, go get results. And when you do, please let us know because that's just the greatest gift you can give us. We'll see you in the next episode.